0: I'm Yolanda and this is Speak On. Today I'm joined by Binash Nazmeen, co-chair of the Birthrights Inquiry into the Racial Injustice of UK Maternity Services. Birthrights is an organisation that campaigns against racial injustice in maternity care by championing respectful care during pregnancy and childbirth by protecting human rights. Binash is a midwife and part of the Association of South Asian Midwives and I'm really happy that she's joining me today. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Uh, A little bit uh, with the mood of the winter, you know, Uh, but uh, I'm well and going to be better soon, hopefully. Yes, yeah. Hibernation mode on. (laughs) Exactly. Carb load prepared.
0: (laughs) So, well, you've been incredibly busy with this, uh, the birthrights inquiry. So, I thought that we could actually talk about why this inquiry is taking part. Uh, taking place in the first place like what is the problem?
1: Okay so sadly the reality is that if you are from black, Asian or have mixed ethnic heritage you are more likely to have poor outcomes for mothers and babies in comparison to their white counterparts the statistics at present from Embrace, which is a confidential inquiry that happens regularly, that inquiry informs us uh, around, you know, what what is causing death, you know, what's causing death for mothers, what's causing death for babies. And this uh, inquiry, um, it, it's one of those things that tells us how we can improve or where we need to improve our services to improve outcomes. Um, and since 2017, it's highlighted this disproportionate outcome. It has you know, always been there, but in 2017, they worded it like this, that if you are a Black woman, you are five times more likely to die in pregnancy birth or the postnatal period in comparison to your white counterpart. You are two times more likely if you are Asian and three times more likely if you have mixed heritage. That in itself is a stark statistic. Mm -hmm. That would have caused a reaction and the way it's been worded highlights the disproportionate levels that this outcome is occurring. You know, it's different saying, oh, people are more likely to die if they're from this, this background than saying you're five times more likely. Um, no, more recently, it's been changed and it's now four times more likely You can imagine how stark that can feel hearing that. Um, The most recent uh, report has highlighted that, you know, that number has changed to four times more likely. But the the significance is still there. And the reality is that they are still at higher chance of having poor outcomes, which is... um, not something you expect in the Western world. For those of you who are listening, I would like to reassure you and let you know that we're talking about in the hundred thousand, you know, we're talking about small numbers in very large groups the way that it can be portrayed in media can be very frightening. And I really don't want anyone who's listening to be scared. And if you are worried or concerned, please have that conversation with your um, your services, your maternity services, and ask what they're doing. Lots of maternity services and NHS England and all of the, the regulatory bodies are aware of this. And there's a big active push towards addressing this um so everyone is doing something and I really do want you you know to be able to have the open conversation get that reassurance because stress is not good for you or the pregnancy
0: yeah that's that is one of the concerns of it, isn't it because these statistics are so are so scary and I have friends that have had inc- like hideous hideous experiences which is scary enough just when your friends go through quite shocking experiences anyway but then to hear the statistic out loud and also I I suppose for um black and brown like people when we're in hospital or when we have to go to doctors we already notice the disparity in care so thinking about a time when you're even more vulnerable and that might be the case is truly frightening and must be quite stressful so I'm really glad you kind of put that statistic into context yes it's still scary but it's presented in that way it it can definitely I think just take off with the edge off that stress what do you think the causes or not even what do you think or what have the causes been like obviously there's so many studies around it there's so many thought pieces there are all these reports about it what are the causes I mean if we think about kind
1: of historically when studies have been done in this area it's often been by people who may not necessarily understand the cultural nuances or have an understanding of the differences in in a great depth. So often, you know, we talk about uh, research and the bias that can exist within research. Historically, there was a male bias, for example, Mm -hmm. giving tablets to everybody when they were only tested on males and expecting Women to have the same symptoms from those tablets when actually women are designed differently. But you know mm. the argument had historically been, well, we can't test it on women because they have hormones. Wow, when you give them the <laughs> tablet, they're still going to have those hormones, you know. So yeah. that you probably should do the testing on them. You should probably have participants that are, you know, representative, <laughs> um, and you should probably understand what uh, biases uh, and nuances that these these group of people face. Mm. It's similar us as well you know historically um there's a hesitancy from our communities you know for participating in research Mm -hmm. i I understand that i am Mm -hmm. you know very aware of um you know historical issues that have existed how black and brown bodies have been abused uh in the Mm -hmm. name of medicine in the name of science etc we hear that from our families the fact that we have been used you know uh But, you know, since then we have ethics now. So we have, you know, the researchers are held to account. They have ethics committees they have to go through. Everything has to go through procedures. It's not like it used to be. But we Mm -hmm. still have that fear because we have the intergenerational trauma and the lessons that we learn from our families and our ancestors that stay with us so we might not put ourselves forward for certain um, research studies etc or we might be just tired of saying it saying look I've said it so many times no one's listening why do I keep me to say say this for someone to someone to take attention really kind of when we look at research and the way it's done and who's doing the research do they understand the nuances are they really able to get to unpicking the issues Um, and are they able to overlook their own privilege and their own lens. Mm. Because we all come in things with our lens and our view yes. of life. When we look at the kind of the researchers and if they have the explanation of socioeconomic deprivation, poverty, comorbidities, are they unpicking it further? Mm. Are we having that understanding of, well, wow, okay, this is an area, this is a postcode area, this is a community, whatever, this is where we have high levels of poverty but what's the difference between the person who's white in this area and male Mm -hmm. between someone who's black, Asian or from a different ethnic heritage what are the comparatives there Mm -hmm. and again for the females so we're potentially not digging into it deeper Uh, the ability to get a job or the Mm -hmm. ability to get a job of a senior level There's research out there that came out in 2019, I believe, where they looked at the number of times you had to apply for a job um, and based upon your name, who was likely to be shortlisted. If you had a black African or a Asian Pakistani sounding name, you had to apply. um, I think on average it was eight times more to just be shortlisted for an interview in comparison to your white counterpart.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so when we have issues like this then of course there's going to be poverty in those communities because people aren't getting the jobs and sadly you know the reality is that cycle keeps continuing we've gone off health here completely we've gone well, no, but the thing is so, though
0: but all of, but all of this is, is absolutely important and it's vital because people ignoring intersectionality and like you're saying not digging and drilling down into things does make a huge difference when it comes to you know systematic behaviors and absolutely all of it is completely relevant because it all plays a part and even the really good example of university at my own uni we had this problem where the we had our, our work was marked differently and we were given different marks compared to other people we even tested it once by handing in the same bit of work several times and then it was we were given different grades on it every time because we were like we just want to see why this is being marked differently so yeah so all of these things absolutely play a part and like you were saying they can be it's implicit bias isn't it it's subconscious people don't always know they're doing it
1: exactly and i think that's the the issue here because if you really got to sit down and think about it so okay we are talking about people who are predisposed to more medical conditions anyway Mm-hmm. okay add the fact that there is poverty in that group of people now let's look at the diet that that group of people have to have because of poverty it's cheaper mm-hmm. to buy more carby foods it's cheaper to buy certain types of food because it's just the way well, i won't go into that so it's just yeah. the way society works right now so yes. let's uh, you know if, if you unpick that then of course mm-hmm. their comorbidities are going to come into play But why is it that this group of people in this Western world are affected in this way, but actually in their country of origin, their outcomes are better?
0: Yes, yes. and That's something that people fail to really grasp as well. Because we are so looking at it from a Eurocentric lens, because obviously
1: this is the way we live and this is the way we do things and it has to be correct. When we start to get uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. we go into defence, we go into that fight, fly or freeze approach actually what needs to happen in that place is you need to ask yourself why has that come up mm-hmm. because in that space that is a trigger for you something has happened inside you that's made you feel uncomfortable and instead of listening to understand you were listening to respond and defend yourself mm-hmm. I see this a lot within healthcare I hear the the argument that oh I, I don't I don't You know, I don't see why because I treat everybody the same. I treat everybody equally, and I think it goes back to the NHS and the foundation of the NHS was welfare system to treat everybody equally to to ensure that we are not having the disproportionate outcomes that were being seen when the NHS care, you know, healthcare was developed. It was to stop poverty being, you know, causing poor outcomes. And the reality is, we treat everybody equally but that equality means that we fail communities that need more because communities do need more. And I'm not just going to put it down to race. I know there's many marginalized communities and it's always marginalized communities that have poorer outcomes. So, you know, if someone has a learning difficulty Mm. and they are not able to understand and consent appropriately because they don't have enough time in an appointment, then that person needs more time in an appointment. You can't give everybody 15 minutes for an appointment or 10 minutes for an appointment when someone might need an interpreter. Yeah, because it's
0: about equity, isn't it? It's not just about equality. Yes,
1: and this is the reality. And, and I always, um, I go back to, they don't exist anymore, the Yellow Pages, but they used yeah. to be my favourite advert back in the day on TV. Around this time of year, it used to play at Christmas time. And there's a tall, slim girl underneath the mm-hmm. mistletoe and there's a, a younger shorter boy and uh, they're going in. For I the remember this advert. Yes. <laughs> I saw it then. Um, so he's going in for the kiss and he can't because she's taller than him. So he goes and grabs a yellow pages, puts it on the floor, stands mm-hmm. on it, and goes in for the kiss. We're not taking away from the girl. We're not asking her to come down. We're not removing anything from her. You know, she is getting everything she gets.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: he's got, given been given an extra elevation just to get mm-hmm. the same outcome that is equity, giving a little bit more where it's needed, just so that they can have the same opportunities.
0: Absolutely. And so the effects of all of all of everything that we've spoken about, what the effects, when we are talking about these outcomes, what exactly is happening to like people who are giving birth? I'm going to come back to that equity now. So if we think about systemic issues and problems, so
1: the NHS, again, was developed for a demographic that's not the same demographics. Now we have Mm changed as a society and the systems that were built uh, to care for those people are not the same, you know, then it's not the same demographics now. So those systems are the same, but the people we're treating are not. So everything that worked back then or was built to work back then hasn't really been changed or adapted for the needs of this current society. Effectively enough, people in the care system are working to care Uh, you know it doesn't pay the best so it's not for the money as people think Um, so I know my colleagues have got their hearts in the right places Mm -hmm. and I know they want to be more aware and understanding of what's happening but we haven't sometimes got the time to be able to send them on training because Mm -hmm. we haven't got the opportunity to to backfill their role so if someone has to go on training we have to think well that's one person down from from the team that day who's going to take up their job and their role that day and if you're already Mm -hmm. short staffed that's really difficult to do to release people for training even though people know they want and need the training so it's these kind of systemic issues that are adding to that if we go back a little bit further before we even get to the place of work we need to look at the education system Mm -hmm. and sadly we have uh, curriculums that are not decolonized Uh, Mm -hmm. people talk about what is decolonizing the curriculum well Mm -hmm. it's making sure that we haven't got a whitewashed version Mm -hmm. of what is being presented to us there's one obstetrician and they call him the father of modern gynecology um, james marion sims so yes, he had innovated procedures for uh, a procedure for obstetric fistulas and he has equipment that he made and he, you know, very much um, developed these things that we use in modern day gynecology nowadays. And we learn about him, but we don't learn what he did to black women yeah. on the plantations where he didn't gain consent because technically back then plantation owners gave consent for their, uh, yeah enslaved
0: people can't give consent for anything can they yeah
1: well that's the reality and then he didn't give them any anesthesia his own uh, doctors and nurses that were supporting him left him because he was taking so long to do anything effective he actually made the black slaves and our Betty Lucy and the others be assistants in their own procedures so why do we not remember that why are we not giving that context yeah. Because that whole, uh, the whole, you know, research now is saying that there's a concept and the thought that black women have stronger pain thresholds. Mm. Well, yeah. where did that come from? That came from actually people like James Marion Sims saying, well, the black women in his own diary, you know, compares how the black slaves didn't cry out in pain, even though it must have been painful in comparison to the, the delicate white European women cried out in pain. Mm.
0: Insane. And things that when they, when I suppose when he was writing that as well, so they're, not, they're not screaming out in pain, mostly because they're just spent and exhausted and there's got nothing left in them. But also I can imagine there's an element of him. There's an element of trying to justify what they're doing as well by saying it's fine. It's not hurting them. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Mm-hmm. So then and then that how that perpetuates, because I, I know people who say that to this day, they genuinely think that black women have a higher threshold of pain. And I'm like, no. And that's the kind of things that we have to live with.
1: Imagine Mm. the effect that that has on our mental health. Yeah. And the daily weathering we get from this.
0: Mm. And
1: we know weathering can affect your, it affects your hormones, it affects your Mm. health and mental health if if it goes unaddressed, which it often does in our communities because people Mm, don't recognize it adequately in an early manner. Then it it can become psychosomatic symptoms. So you get physical, you get physical symptoms of your mental health. You're getting headaches, you're Mm -hmm. getting indigestion, you're getting abdominal pain, all of these things. And and unaddressed mental health means longer years of ill health in your life, which means you're likely to die earlier.
0: Yeah. And these are all the things, like you were saying, that contribute to these kind of comorbidities. We just live under constant stress, essentially. It's like just stress that never ends. And then you're scared, uh, which is causing more stress. And then you're in a situation in hospital or wherever else and these moments of vulnerability. And then you're receiving this disproportionate treatment and the effects that has. And even things like the way that people can speak to, like, um, black and Asian women, South Asian women specifically, they like, kind of talk to you like either you're you're stupid or you're an idiot or you're submissive. Or as in black women, they think everything you're saying is angry, even if you're saying hi, they're like, why are you so mad? And so if people are going in with that kind of implicit bias, the treatment that you're getting
1: mm-hmm.
0: is like you were saying when people are under the th- are incredibly. You know, they're, they're understaffed, they're under-resourced. They're not going to be able to sit down and dip into, dip into that part of their brain and think, "Am I coming from a biased place? Am I assuming that this black woman is angry? Am I assuming that this Asian woman is is, is submissive or anything like that? All the stupid stereotypes. They're just going to react in what's happening. And like you're saying, then we get these effects. So, what can be done to improve things um, within, like I suppose, within maternity care? yeah just just within with any of this so we start
1: with education we start with education so that we don't have to wait for educating staff by the time they get to you know the point where they are able to go to education because you know we have to worry about resources so let's talk about universities let's talk about mm-hmm. how we are teaching our students um let's talk about the Eurocentric view and the fair body that we're talking about and teaching about because mm-hmm. we are still being taught about blueness around the lips for cyanosis mm. and pinkness. The baby's still being marked for how pink it is when it's born Uh Black and brown babies
0: don't look pink. I, yeah. It's like, oh, when I was born, I was yellow. <laughs> okay. Yellow lips in, in jaundice. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't like jaundice yellow. I was just like just, just, just yellow. <laughs> just, just a shade. I'm rocking. Yeah. And that's fine.
1: But it it is like coming away from that because actually it is different. And if you are relying on those physical things, then you are not picking things up. You know, there was a lot of work done by Malone. He's a student, a medical student, and he recognized that everything he was being shown was on a fair body. Mm-hmm. All the dermatological, dermatological conditions were on a fair, fair body. They look different on different skin tones. So yeah. really if you're so used to looking at something and diagnosing it in one way, because you've only ever seen images in that way, how are you going to be better able to diagnose something on someone who has a different skin tone? Yeah which is, you know, a basic thing. And that's not, you know, someone being racist. That's Mm -hmm. just the fact is you've been taught that way. Mm -hmm. There's so many things um, in our communities, like so many words that we don't, you know, depression has no word in so many languages. So many languages, depression does not exist. So how do you talk about something that you don't have a word for? How yeah. do you talk about something you don't talk about with your family because it's maybe taboo or stigmatized, or you're not allowed to because you have to survive, or because our parents had to survive and they weren't allowed the luxury of having mental health, they just had mm. to survive, and so they don't understand it when we talk about our mental health because they were not allowed. It's as simple yes. as that. So there's an issue with that intergenerational trauma. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if I don't understand anxiety and I'm a healthcare professional, I am a midwife. I have been working, uh, you know, for over a decade, you know, thirteen years. In this field, and I last year was having severe anxiety and panic attacks, and it took my white friend to tell me, "You are anxious. You're you're describing panic attacks to me, and I know what those things are, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't see it in myself. So how do I articulate what I'm going through, or or go go and ask for help when I don't recognise it? You don't go for that help. You don't talk about it. Instead." Mm You're then getting so far down that spectrum of mental health. We talked about it earlier. You're having headaches. You're having these other physical symptoms. And the doctors have checked you out for everything and it doesn't look like anything. So why aren't they thinking mental health? Are you sleeping okay? Do you Mm -hmm. find joy in your day? Have you considered that you might harm yourself? Mm -hmm. Have you thought what the world would be like without you in it? Have you considered these thoughts? Have they come into your head? Because they come across more then the are you feeling down are you feeling low well hmm. that's my life
0: yeah yeah exactly life is stressful hun it could be so people don't see I remember my my nan actually used to say because again she was you know well she was a woman born in the 30s and she used to say oh I have these like low feelings and it's only I was like nan are you, de- are you like do you feel like depressed do you feel down it's only because I was starting to make the connection but she gone to the doctors continuously and I was like maybe you need to just describe this a little bit differently because they again weren't appreciating that just someone of an older generation wouldn't necessarily have the right language for that either
1: yeah Yeah. and this is it so really starting with our education looking at it educating our staff better and actually when we do talk about things that are you know different not putting it in the negative connotation for -hmm. example consanguinity and the negative, you know, the negative concept of marrying your cousin. In Switzerland, I recently learned that actually, it's common to marry your cu- cousin. And actually, it's not offensive to ask someone if you've married your cousin in in Sweden, because people do do it. So why is it when Sweden does it, we don't think anything's wrong with it. But then when other p- communities do it, it's negative. And female genital mutilation. First of all, who came up with that term? It's not female genital mutilation. It's, not that for for the term that we're talking about people from those communities that we're talking about that specifically Mm -hmm. is either cutting or circumcision you know those are the kind of things that they would call it so really if you're asking about that how are they going to understand what you're asking about or how do they identify with it and why are we making it so negative when we ask that question when actually it's something that's very normal in their community and now we're turning a negative slant on it that means they're going to be worried about us and the way we're going to treat them and then safeguarding comes involved and we know the issues that come with safeguarding people really worried about having their children removed because black Mm -hmm. and brown children are more in the the care system than most other children so really why is that but anyway going back to that so female genital mutilation what about the white people who have it because white people don't identify that they have female genital mutilation but they do because they have clitoral piercings yeah labioplasties. other forms of things done in that area is technically Mm -hmm. female genital mutilation and they can't say that they've got it until it's four o'clock in the morning i'm rushing to do a you know support someone to an emergency cesarean section or having a assisted birth because something's going wrong and there's you know with high stress area and then we realize and we're trying to take something out from that sensitive area last minute in a hurry Oh, sorry I was thinking about the pain yeah <laughs> exactly and that's just going to add to the trauma of that whole experience yeah So really we didn't pick that up at the time we should have picked it up which was at the beginning when we asked that question to everybody so we're not just failing our black and brown bodied people we're also failing our white counterparts in those areas mm. so we need to take that negative construct and that negative you know way of teaching out of it and give that equal awareness around those things so that we are talking about it and we need to have conversations like this. Conversations like this need to happen all across the board so that our, our colleagues are learning and they aren't going into that triggered mode because they are regularly hearing these issues and learning from it and
0: growing absolutely and do you there i know there's like uh, i've heard of like best training which is equality diversity human rights like as an e-learning um like course that happens every three years um and it covers discrimination direct indirect etc what do you think of things like that are they uh, uh, let's say there was a world where we were tackling and And teaching people things before they even got into a hospital before they even got into mainstream medical care is best training every x amount of years enough to keep that topped up because it obviously is not enough now
1: yeah so i think the reality is you can have bias training or anti-racism anything you can have any of such training but if you have it as a one-off you have since switched that training off you've forgotten about it then you absorb other biases from the media, from society, from the environment you're in, all of those things. So actually we need to have it constantly and we need to have it regularly. Mm -hmm. But also uh, people seem to feel like they need an awareness training. So they need to learn about how people live and how people exist because, uh, you know, them being better able to understand how the different communities and their cultures will inform them of how to care because we feel like that's the only way we can care is if we know it all Mm -hmm. because that's the way we're taught. And that's what education tells us, you know, evidence based, but you cannot know all the cultures in the world. You cannot know because I'm from a village and thirty village at 30 kilometers down, there's another village and they do things completely different. So really, you cannot know that. And actually, the fact that people keep saying, I need cultural awareness training, that is not the truth. You do not need cultural awareness training. You do not need to know about how everybody lives their life because each person is an individual, even within that community. Some people might shun that culture and and not want that. So really what you need to know is how to treat the person in front of you as a human being, as an individual, Mm -hmm. and listen to what they are saying. Mm -hmm. Listen so that you understand and use their words
0: back at them. Yeah. So, I mean, like, so you, you actually co-designed um, and run the, run cultural competency and safety workshops for maternity care professionals. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yes. Yeah, so we, we took that on and we basically said that we'll put that in the title because everybody wants to be culturally competent, you know? <laughs> yes. I think, and everybody assumes that you're culturally competent because you know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. But cultural competency is actually that you are sense culturally sensitive enough to have those conversations with the person in front of you, to be aware that you can't know anything, everything about everything and to be open to learn, uh, learn from people. And, you know, learning can be curiosity. Oh, I didn't realize you did that. Can you tell me more? I'm so interested in knowing why, why this happens in your community. I've seen other people do it that's curiosity Um, and cultural safety is actually checking your own biases identifying Mm -hmm. that you have as a human being been exposed to an environment that is biased and therefore you have absorbed those into your psyche even if you feel like you haven't you have and you are perpetuating those I often reflect and every time I reflect back there's something else that I've missed and I feel guilt and shame about the ways I've treated people because I as a brown person who's got the lived experience has also been indoctrinated by the systems I've been put through and has perpetuated Mm. those issues so I feel that and I know my white counterparts feel that and that that comes in but really understanding that you have biases understanding that you might treat people differently or you might not pick a folder up because that name sounds different and you know what they might need interpreter and it's too much work and I'll go for the other English sounding person because that sounds like it's going to be easier work that's a bias we've Mm -hmm. done that you know everybody's thought that oh this might be easier to do I might just do that Because it's easier. But actually, if you're the one that's conscious about that, you might be the best person to go for that other name because you might have that. You know, you're culturally safe. You know, you've identified that bias. You know that you're going to give that person the options that they want and need to be able to best choose their uh, procedures and make decisions about their care. That is Mm -hmm. cultural safety. Cultural safety is you being able to recognize that this person might actually not have the best care by someone who isn't aware of their biases and Mm -hmm. so we need to go and care for this person and yes it's going to be harder and it's going to take more time and all of those things but at least you know that they you know the the whole conversation around pronouns people who use pronouns are more conscious and they are trying to learn and they are trying to grow so that's why people who are from the communities that they're affected by inaccurate pronouns are reaching out to them that's where that connection is and that's where a safe space is and that's where a safe place is so it's showing that you're consciously trying to address the issues and yes biases will continue to exist but if the person knows you and understands you I know I'm you know if I know the intention of the person in front of me and they say something that I would normally find offensive I let it go because I know that person's intentions
0: yeah and so what impact do implementing these training courses and of course things like specialist cultural liaison midwives etc what kind of um, impacts will they have on statistics
1: equity and equality midwives and all of these kind of roles are coming up more and more there's lead midwives for equity and you know I think the NHS England is very conscious about calling equity uh, you know calling it equity um, as well as equality because We are aware that equity is what needs to be achieved. And that is the the advice and guidance. And the fact is that that person is looking solely at this issue. That person is being able to give their full attention to this issue. They are able to look at it from a local perspective. They are able to look at the outcomes in that local area. And they are able to hold people to account because once there's actual statistics and data specific to your place of work, people have to address that. Absolutely. and have to work towards improving it
0: yeah and so there are like different people there are organizations uh, there are charities that are trying to solve and eradicate this like heightened risk essentially that um black and brown people like have when they're giving birth so birth rights is one of these organizations what role do they play in this and can you tell me more about their year-long inquiry that you are co-chairing
1: yeah, absolutely. Birthrights is a brilliant organisation that's about upholding human rights, but specifically in the birth and perinatal period, because people think human rights and suddenly seem to think, well, women don't have human rights. Um, sorry, that's another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the reality is, human rights in the birth scenario is it's very real and actually historically there's not been much work done around the race aspect and the ethnicity aspect of this um so this inquiry is fantastic because it's been hearing people's voices but also hearing the voices and and the evidence and bringing in all the other bodies are working around this area together to get that multiple, holistic overview of what's happening, what's happening from the bodies and the regulatory bodies, what's happening and what's the experience of service users and what are the healthcare professionals that are providing the care, seeing and feeling on the shop floor so that there's this holistic overview and, you know, looking at it. And the reality is, um, you know, it's it's not surprising. It's everything that I know exists and and I know I've heard that exists but it's not necessarily what my white counterparts will know because they don't have that lens, they don't have that overview. So being able to give that um, will hopefully be able to give them that awareness around the issues and that understand why the outcomes are as they are. Uh, We're hoping that by spring, we will be launching the final report, but it, it, it very much is really unpicking the issues and looking at it with an overview.
0: Awesome. I mean, there's, we've uh, been speaking to, I've been speaking to different people about different kind of studies and that they're running at the moment. And one of the things is they're trying to get people to come forward and tell their stories so that it can be used to help other people. How easy has that been to kind of get hold of this information? Because again, it's that thing of people, you know, we know the history with, um, you know, dealing with medical professionals, it's not even history, it could be yesterday. (laughs) It's like it's not always pleasant and it can give you, it can make you so suspicious. How easy has it been, or how hard has it been to try to kind of engage with people that are affected by this?
1: So, I think before we even went into the engagement as a panel, um, you should look at our panel actually. You should look at it. We have a full, practically every single person in bar one is uh, black or brown or has mixed ethnic heritage on that panel. And uh, um, we have, I think, one white male who actively works in this area but apart from that we actually have a majority majority female panel so we are a representative panel we are panel members that are working actively in the birth field we are people who work with our communities and hear their voices on a regular basis so before we even went into the reaching out to the communities we were very conscious and when we do oral evidence or when we do kind of that interactive support, that they are not coming to present to us. They are having that in a private space and we are just getting the feedback from that because people are triggered and traumatized by their experiences. Mm -hmm. And we know that actually not giving that support after can leave people triggered and leave them open to processing that trauma alone so we also had psychological support available for anyone and everyone involved because we didn't want to be the trigger without being also the solution to that so we went in in it with that overview really and that consciousness and then moving forward we had um we had kind of that respect of we don't you know, we don't want, I have a brilliant friend who works in birth activism, uh, Mars Lord, and she calls it, you know, black trauma porn, which is where you air that experience and that's Mm -hmm. it. It was always on the back and on the basis of what we are learning. We want to give actual recommendations that are solution focused. Yes. That are, you know, not the whole, oh, we need more research in this or we need more data or etc, etc, et which is traditionally how things work out or, you know, blaming, oh, comorbidities, um, mm. socioeconomic deprivation. We, we wanted to have a very solution focus um, recommendations that come out of it. And we'll be sharing those with any and all participants um, mm. so that they can see what has come out from the emotional work they put in by responding to us.
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's amazing. So under the current circumstances, if we could kind of like end with, I don't know, a tip or a few tips, how can people attempt to advocate, protect themselves from receiving maternity care now? Because obviously there are, there are all the amazing people like yourself and like Birthright, et cetera, that are working towards how we can change things. And there are, like you say, we've gone from five times more to four times more, which is, which is amazing, but we still have some ways to go. But how can people help themselves right now?
1: So I think it's really important that uh, people know what options and, and, you know, what is available to them. Sometimes people might only be given certain options, but always ask what else. So if I, if I was to say no to this because maybe I'm not happy for the way, you know, for, for this procedure, et cetera. What is the other options, mm-hmm. you know, and what is available or what is, uh, what, where can we compromise? so that you are happy with the decisions you are making about yourself, your body, your pregnancy, you know, all of those things It's really important. And when you can't do that, making sure your birth partner or your advocate that's with you is able to do that for you, because sometimes you are vulnerable, sometimes it's difficult for you to do. So knowing you're taking someone who is happy to do that, having that conversation around, well, if I don't want this option that you've given me, what are the other options? If I say no, et cetera, What are they? I think a lot of uh, black and brown individuals feel like hospitals are safer because we have been taught that medical places are more safe. But if you are low risk in your pregnancy, that means you've needed limited input and actually everything's going very well in your pregnancy, then you are eligible for a home birth. What's more comfortable than having a birth in your own place of home? And why aren't we considering that more? because actually um, that reduces your stress levels. That's more uh, counterproductive for your um for your labor and you know you're in your own space so really actually looking at things and, and asking why why do we things do things in this way and actually what suits me as a person what will make me feel comfortable and if that's being in hospital fantastic but then knowing that you can question why an intervention is being offered to you you can mm-hmm. say well maybe I don't want this intervention or actually can you tell me all the pros and cons of this intervention um you know give me all of the statistics so that you understand the statistics you know uh, there might be sometimes risks told to you that might be um, very vague but ask for the specific statistics so that you are better able to make decisions about you and your pregnancy and your baby but you know always do kind of ask those questions be prepared write them down and take them with you Um, because when you feel like you're in control of something you feel like you are abled you know you feel that comfort and that stress level reduce already the other thing about advocacy is um when someone gives you a diagnosis and you're not happy with it what's your differential diagnosis so if Mm -hmm. if this isn't it what are the other diagnoses that could be going on and can you
0: test for them yeah and what if they what if somebody says like no we're not going to test for them like what do you do then or are they able are they allowed to say no
1: Well, if they say no, they can say, well, I would like a second opinion. So you you have to remember, actually, one thing I forgot to mention is that if there is a problem with your caregiver or you don't feel trust in your caregiver, you can ask for someone else. Mm -hmm. And as long as on the day there is availability or flexibility, you know, staffing wise, they will try their best to accommodate that. You know, we don't want you to feel unsafe or being cared for by someone who you might not necessarily uh, trust, but also we want to be able to support you in what you need. Having said that, if staffing is unable to provide that, then it might be a little bit later until they can you know jig things around and and give you someone else but you know if it's in 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 case of going to an appointment and and saying to a maybe a doctor or a consultant and they've said that then you can say can I have a second opinion you can ask for that that's your right
0: absolutely amazing well oh my gosh thank you so much uh this has been just this has been amazing like I've learned so much and I know that this podcast is going to be so helpful to so many people but also I am I am Not looking forward to but you know looking forward to seeing what the results of this inquiry are because it's I know how helpful it's going to be and I know it's just honestly I just don't I can't even find the words because I am being a black woman I haven't had children but then a part of that was because I was scared that it pays such a huge part into it it's a genuine fear that I'm like well do I want how much do I want to have a baby I don't want to die so that's like a genuine fear like for so many of my friends were like but we know that we've gone to hospital and we haven't had the best care I don't want to be even more vulnerable and put myself in that position so it is something that plays on your mind and again another really fun stressor of being black and brown
1: oh god yes because we do that all the time and that's you know I haven't had children either by the way um but I have to remind myself that there are brilliant amazing independent midwives and you know if, if it works out for me that I am I'm feeling comfortable and Safe, there's always options. People don't realize that there's always options, and just because you know we have the NHS, um, there are also other options out there as well. And people may not necessarily be aware of that. There's doulas that can go with you and be your support and be your advocate if you don't have that birth support, so that you can take someone with you. That and there's people that can give you a lot of information. And I think the problem with our communities is we don't ask for it, we don't look for it, we don't get it, and we actually need to start doing that for ourselves more
0: yeah and where can people find more information
1: Oh, more information you can definitely find more information about the inquiry if you follow birthrights and and um you know them on their social medias if you would like more information about me and the work i'm doing you can follow me on my social medias i've given you my links and happy for you to share them and association of south asian midwives a lot of the work we do is always on our website so you can always google us and follow us on there as well
0: brilliant and we'll add everything into the show notes and also we'll share everything on social media as well but yeah thank you so much for your time it's been glorious to speak to you and it's been lovely to see your gorgeous face on a day where it is hideously gloomy outside so honestly people can't see you've got the nicest smile I've ever seen I've just been like even though it's like this really serious subject I'm just like really smiling at you throughout (laughs) oh
1: thank you so much I really
0: appreciate that
1: (laughs) Made by Dave. Thank you so much for having me and inviting me. It's been a pleasure speaking to you.
0: Thank you for listening to Speak On. Make sure you like, subscribe and share with your friends, family, co-workers, strangers in the street. To find out more about us, including our upcoming events, head over to Instagram. Instagram.com forward slash Speak On underscore. Bye.